Welcome to Destiny Church Online. It's so good to see you today. Um, if I've not met you before, my name's Sammy. I'm one of the location pastors here at the church, and it's so good to have you connecting with us. And let me just add um, a welcome on top of Pastor Paul's as well. And as Paul rightly said, this is International Sunday. Today, if you're connecting with us live, is Pentecost Sunday, a special moment uh, in the church calendar, but a special moment for us as well as a Destiny Church Edinburgh family. We're celebrating International Sunday. And as we do that, we're also going to kick off uh, a new series, which will tie in a little bit to that theme. And over the next few weeks, we're starting a new series we're calling Missional Living. Missional Living. And we're going to be talking about participating in God's mission. Uh, To participate in God's mission is to participate in the movement of his love toward people. And so over the next weeks, we're going to explore what this whole theme of of missional living looks like for you and for me. I want to ask you a question today. Uh, I'm sure many of you are not gamblers. But I want you to imagine 2,000 years ago, you went into the bookies. I'm sure the bookies didn't exist then, but Ladbrokes, William Hill, whatever. You went into the bookies and you had to place a bet on, at this point in history, 2,000 years ago, whether the Roman Empire in all its glory and splendor and might that was currently ruling the world would still be here in 2,000 years, or whether 12 people, inexperienced Jewish disciples of a rabbi would still be here 2,000 years on. And yet, I'm not a betting man, but 2,000 years later, we still call our kids some, Jesus, Peter, Paul, and Mary. And we call our dogs Caesar and Nero. Robert Louis Wilkin, a professor of history at the University of Virginia, has documented that at the end of the first century, there were fewer than 10,000 Christians in the Roman Empire. They they made up literally a hundredth of a percent. And by the year 200, that was, uh, it hadn't changed much. It was just under 1%. But by the year 300, Christians made up amazingly 10% of the entire Roman Empire, approximately 6 million people. Now, into this context, the earliest followers of Jesus were widely ridiculed, especially by cultural elites. They were excluded from circles of influence and and business, and they were often persecuted and put to death. And Roman authorities especially were hostile to them compared to any other religious groups. But in light of that, and in light of those enormous social costs of being a follower of Jesus, in the first three centuries, why did anyone become one? Why did Christianity grow so exponentially? And what did following Jesus offer that was so much greater than the costs? Larry Hutedo, who's a professor of New Testament language and literature um, and also uh, theology. At the, he, he was the professor there at the University of Edinburgh. Uh, sadly, he passed away a couple of 
of years ago in 2019, but he explained on this topic the one main reason for why this happened was that the Christian church was a unique countercultural community that was both offensive and yet attractive at the same time. And he kind of unpacked, there were kind of five things that the early church were known for, but also why they attracted people, why they grew exponentially. And I'm just going to give you the five really quickly, but I want you to focus on the last one. So very quickly, number one, the church was a community of forgiveness and reconciliation. The church, number two, the church was famous for its hospitality to the poor and the suffering. Number three, it was a community committed to the sanctity of life. Number four, it was a sexual counterculture. But listen to this, number five. The early church was multiracial. In other words, it was international. And it experienced a unity across that, those ethnicities, across those ethnic boundaries. That was startling then. It's probably still startling now. So all of this information, where am I going? Here's the question I'm trying to answer. How did Jesus' movement end up a multi how did it end up multiracial and how was there such unity across ethnic boundaries? What an important question to ask ourselves on a day, as I said, where we are celebrating as a church our internationalness, followers of Jesus celebrating the fact that we are international and multi-ethnic. One account of Jesus inviting someone to follow him is found in the book written by Matthew, Matthew's Gospel. And it's hopefully going to help us answer some of those questions that I've just shared. And my message today, I'm going to, I'm going to call this message, follow me, follow me. That's what we're going to look at. So let's turn to Matthew uh, chapter 9, uh, and we're going to read through uh, from 9 to 13. This is what it says. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Okay, we'll come back to the story in a moment. Let's give a bit of background to this opening part. Matthew was one of Jesus' followers. He was one of the twelve disciples. And, and in this part of his gospel, this is actually this, the gospel that's written by Matthew himself, he tells a story about himself. Uh, and it's the story of how he became a follower of Jesus. So, so who was Matthew? Well, Matthew was a, a tax collector. And in Jesus's time, just to give you a bit of context, tax collectors were hated. They were hated. Uh, They were Jews uh, collecting taxes on behalf of the Romans, a foreign occupation. Uh, And what would often happen is they would add their own fee on top of the tax that they were giving to the Romans. So they could basically put whatever price they wanted. As long as Rome got their cut, they could add whatever they wanted to that. Uh, And so not only were they going along with the occupying force, they were also oppressing their own people and becoming rich from it. So you can see why they were hated so much. The the Jews 
they didn't even consider tax collectors as Jews anymore. Uh, and in this moment, at this point, uh, in this story, Jesus would have been traveling as a, a rabbi Jewish teacher, and, and Jesus invites Matthew to follow him. And it, it was a bit like a formal invitation to Matthew to, to kind of say, look, why don't you come and, and hang out with me? Why don't you identify with me in this moment? Identify with me as a rabbi. Uh, come and spend time with me. And at the same time, Jesus was saying, I will identify with you. I will spend time with you, Matthew. And it's probably highly likely that in this moment, this is not the first time that Matthew has certainly not heard about Jesus. Might, he might have even seen Jesus before. It's possible he's witnessed some of Jesus' public teaching because he's been in this area, or possibly heard some of the stories of the healings and miracles. Uh, I don't know if you're like me and you've watched some of the famous Chosen TV series. Uh, if you haven't, I want to encourage you, go check it out. It is amazing. But it's a television drama uh, based on the life of, of Jesus Christ. And, and I actually I love the scene the, the, the scene that we've just read here in Matthew's Gospel, I love the scene that's depicted in The Chosen about this moment. It, it depicts Matthew as this kind of awkward, intelligent character. He's fascinated by Jesus, but the disciples really, certainly at the beginning, really don't like him. But I, I want to just give you a flavor of maybe what this would have been like. Uh, and we're just going to watch a quick moment uh, and clip that we've just read from in the Gospels. We live in the same world, Matthew. Next. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Matthew. Matthew, son of Alpheus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy has done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to you. What are you doing? Where do you think you're going? Guys, let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're going to throw it all away. Yes. I don't get it. You didn't get it when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. 
Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? I grabbed it without thinking. You can put it back. No, no, keep it. You may yet find use for it. Where are we going? A dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host. I love that scene. Hopefully, it gives you a flavor of what it was like. But, you know, the story doesn't end there. And we're going to pick it up in verse 10. It says this, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I want to unpack just three things from this passage that I want to share with you on this International Sunday. And here's, here's the first thing. Jesus was extraordinarily comfortable, extraordinary, sorry, comfortable with people who were nothing like him. Jesus was extraordinarily comfortable with people who were nothing like him. Jesus liked people who weren't like him. Jesus invited people who were nothing like him into his circle. He chose to spend time with them and prioritize them. And he was winsome in the way that he approached them. Jesus extended an invitation to follow to every single kind of person imaginable. If you follow this story through the Gospels, rich people, poor people, people who were spiritual, people who weren't spiritual. And he didn't have a bunch of conditions on his offer. He, he just invited them to come and to follow me. Steve Merrill, uh, who pastors one of the, the biggest churches in the Philippines, uh, has a membership of about 52,000 people. Uh, he spoke about his story of how he became a Christian and uh, and how that kind of happened. This is what he said. When I became a teenager, uh, a teenager, a few times I was invited by Christian classmates to attend their youth, church youth group activities and Bible studies. I was pretty good at saying no. I was not ready to dive into their world. However, I couldn't keep them from diving into mine. I am forever grateful that Ron Musselman, the youth pastor, did not just invite me to his church world, he jumped into my not-so-churchy world. And that's exactly what Jesus was like as well. Jesus did not expect people, especially non-believers, to jump into his world, so he jumped into theirs. And, you know, he did that without compromising. So Jesus hung out with people that would get drunk, but he never got drunk. Jesus would spend time, as we're learning here, with corrupt tax collectors, but he was not corrupt. Uh, he extended compassion to prostitutes at times, but never compromised his 
sexual integrity. Jesus didn't expect people to jump into his world, so he jumped into theirs. And we see here how radical Jesus' call was to Matthew. When all eyes were on the Son of God, he chose to reach out to a tax collector. I want to just think about this point for a moment and ask a few questions today. How might our community, our city, our world be different if our church treated people the way Jesus did? Not just in this story, but throughout his ministry. And here's my other question as well to us as we celebrate being an international church. I want you just to take a moment just to think about, or or in your mind, look at your friends, your small group, uh, the people you do life with. Are they all like you? Do they all have the same colored skin? Do they all come from the same social class? Have they all had similar education background to you? Are they all the same age as you? You see, we can be an international church, lots of different nationalities. But the question is, are we united? Are we united across ethnic boundaries? And and in order for that to happen, that requires relationship. That requires investment. That requires doing what Jesus did and, and spending time with people who were nothing like him. Here's my question just as I finish this point. What what could you do this week to reach out to someone who is nothing like you? So that's my first point. Jesus was extraordinarily comfortable with people who were nothing like him. But here's my second point. People who were nothing like Jesus were comfortable with him. (laughs) People were drawn to Jesus. You see that in this story. You see that right the way through the Gospels. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. I don't know if you've ever met someone who's just so comfortable with themselves, himself or herself, that they make everyone else feel comfortable. Maybe you've seen it the opposite way around when someone's not so comfortable and they're awkward and they make everybody else feel awkward. But maybe you've been in that situation where you've met someone, they're just comfortable in their own skin and they they put other people at ease. But Jesus was like that a hundredfold. Now, that's a big deal because Jesus was God in the flesh, God in a body. And he was not obligated to make everyone around him feel comfortable. Based on all the sin in the world, he would have been entirely justified in making everyone feel uncomfortable. But Jesus was so comfortable in his own skin that he didn't hesitate to hang out with sinners, tax collectors, outcasts, lowlifes, and people like Matthew. I don't know about you, but I think sometimes most of us avoid people that are different to us or avoid people like that that I've just mentioned because we worry about what other people, better people, 
will think if they see us. If I hang around with the broken and dysfunctional, people will assume I'm broken and dysfunctional too, right? But, but look at Jesus. He, he, he'd be prepared, and he is prepared in this moment, to go to a place that, that might ruin his reputation, but where Matthew is going to be comfortable. In fact, that's exactly what the Pharisees, the religious leaders in this story, wondered about Jesus. In verse 11, we read, When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, again, it's easy to dismiss the Pharisees as, as being kind of small-minded and intolerant, but if we were put in the same situation, I think we'd all be tempted to ask the same question. After all, Jesus was like the Pharisees, wasn't he? He was a rabbi, and they were rabbis. He was a law keeper, and and they were law keepers. He was holy, and, and they saw themselves as holy. So why would Jesus choose to hang out with people who were nothing like him, people who were far from God, instead of hanging out with people who believed in the same religious rules and traditions. And here's how Jesus actually answered that question. He explains it. He says in verse 12, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Now, I want you just to imagine for a moment, this is really important, that, that you're Matthew in this story. Okay, You're sitting... Uh, in the, the, the table with Jesus and the other people, the Pharisees come to the door. Matthew's sitting right there when Jesus responds to the Pharisees and he hears what Jesus says. So Jesus is a guest in this home. Uh, he's at his dinner table. And then Jesus says and calls him and his friends sick. <laughs> Not the kind of cool sick that people use today, but like sick they're messed up. They're well. And sometimes when you read the story, it's kind of like, you know, Jesus is sitting there and kind of, this is not what happened, but, you know, point, these guys are really sick. That's why I'm here. But he would have been communicating, even if Matthew might have been offended in that moment, that I'm here for people who are sick. Maybe Matthew is offended, but maybe, just maybe, Matthew, as a tax collector, knew there was something wrong with himself. There was something inside that he didn't like, and yet he was also drawn to Jesus. Let me just level with you for a moment. I think you know you're sick. And the reason I think I know that is because I know I'm sick. I'm not... A bit of therapy here. I'm not even consistent with my own rules. You're probably not even consistent with your own rules. You probably don't even do what you ask your employees to do. I don't even do what I ask my kids to do. <laughs> We're inconsistent. Uh, and Jesus in this story was not put off by Matthew's brokenness and sin. And just at the same, as the same point, Jesus is not put off by ours. He was not uncomfortable, even though he knew what Matthew was thinking, and everybody else for that matter. 
he wasn't uncomfortable and he knows what we're thinking and he knows our thoughts and still Jesus is not uncomfortable and put off by us. That, folks, is so encouraging. I need to hear that today. I don't know about you. I need to hear that today. As a parent, sometimes you have to get the balance of when to help your kids um, and when they can help themselves. We're in this kind of season where Joshua, my oldest, who's four, four and a half, where he's starting to learn some things. There's other things that he uh, still needs quite a lot of help with. And an example of that would be breakfast. So Joshua is quite independent. And a very recent time, Joshua wanted to sort out his own breakfast, get his own bowl, get his own spoon. That's great. Pour his own cereal. Uh Uh-oh. Pour his own milk. And I tried to explain to Joshua, Joshua, look, let's try and do this together, but I think you're going to need my help. And he'd say, no, Daddy, I can do this on my own. So I said, look, Joshua, I think you might make a mess if you don't let me help. No, Daddy, I'm going to do this on my own. And so I said, okay, Joshua, but let me know if you need need my help. And of course, what happened was exactly what I thought. The cereal went everywhere. Uh, the, The milk also went everywhere and went all over the floor. And I was left to clean it up. (laughs) So I'm telling you that story because we all need help. We all need help. And sometimes we think we don't. We try and sort out our own mess. And sometimes when we try and do that, actually, we just make things worse. The, The Pharisees in this story, they considered themselves healthy before God, but because they kept the rules, but uh, because they, they, they thought they'd done all the rituals that they needed to do. And, and unfortunately, what that did was it meant they were spiritually blind or blind to their spiritual sickness. And Jesus' point is, is that only those who realize their need come to him to receive the help they need. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but if you've not, I want to encourage you to, when you have a moment on your own, nobody else in the house, take a moment to look in the mirror. And I want you to honestly ask yourself, can you stand there and say, I don't need any help? Or, or do you stand there in, in the presence of God and say, say, I need help. I know I need help. And the good news is, if you're saying that, then you are a prime candidate for Jesus. And he can clean up your mess. Maybe you're asking, how does he do that? You don't see my life, Sammy. You don't know what's going on. Let me tell you this. 2,000 years ago, Jesus dealt with our ultimate sickness, our sin, by dying on a cross in our place. Jesus was perfect. He was God. And he came like a doctor to cure the sick. Only Jesus can cure you of your sin. And my question is, will you let him help you today? Will you choose, just like Matthew, to follow him? And I'd love to give you a moment at the end of this message to do that. So let's think about just some thoughts or some applications of this second point. Here's a few things I just want to throw out. 
being a sinner does not disqualify you from following Jesus. In fact, it's a prerequisite to following him. Every single person Jesus invites into relationship is a sinner. There is no sin, no habit that puts you outside of the circle of following Jesus. You need to hear that today. Another thing I just want to say, for for those maybe yet to make that decision to follow Jesus, maybe you're intrigued by Jesus, maybe you've connected with us online today and you're wondering what this is all about. I, I just want to say, maybe you've had time with some people in our church. Maybe you've had and spent time with some Christians before. And I just want to throw out, maybe there have been times where they've made you feel a bit, a bit uncomfortable. Maybe they've even made you feel like, ugh. I just want to say, that's not Jesus' fault. That's our fault. And that's not how Jesus wants to respond to you today. And we're sorry if we've given off any of that kind of vibe. For those part of Destiny Church Edinburgh today, here's my question. When you hang out with people who are different to you, what kind of vibe do you give off? Do, do, do people feel comfortable around you? Do they feel safe around you? Or do they feel judged or snubbed by you? And what I find on my journey is that the, the more conscious that I am of the work God has yet to do in me, the less critical I am of what God has yet to do in you. The more I'm aware, man, I've got so much areas to grow in, so many areas the more likely and the less likely I'm going to be criticizing others, actually, it motivates me to love them more. So here's my third point. We'll finish with this. The invitation to follow is an invitation to relationship. Jesus and Jesus' invitation is an invitation to a relationship. It's not an invitation to the Ten Commandments. It's not even a relationship where you keep all the rules. You can't. You won't. It's about being in a love relationship. Uh, When Helen and I got married, believe it or not, on our wedding day, we didn't create a set of rules for each other and say, you know, we're going to keep all these rules together, okay? That happens after you've been married. No, I'm joking. (laughs) It doesn't. It doesn't. But we didn't come to our wedding day and and create these rules saying, are you going to keep all these rules? What did we do? We we committed in that moment with our vows to love each other. And if you know the traditional vows, all they are about, you're promising to say, I'm going to love you, I'm going to cherish you. And then you, you kind of talk about all the different circumstances you'll do that in, whether we're sick or not, whether we're poor or not. But it's a commitment, it's a promise. I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you no matter what. And all the things that we then go on to do for each other, acts of service, quality time together, caring for one another, being kind to one another, they come out of, or I hope they come out of, a place of love and relationship. The Pharisees asked the disciples, why does Jesus eat with these people? And Jesus responds, in verse 13, by saying this, go and learn what this means. 
I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This phrase Jesus uses, I desire mercy, or in other translations, it's also translated steadfast love. I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice is a quotation from Hosea 6, 6 in the Old Testament. Now, the Pharisees would have known that. Uh, They would have known this chapter off by heart. Many of the the Pharisees would have known the whole Old Testament off by heart. So they would have known what this chapter was about and they would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about. The theme of Hosea 6 is all about Israel's unrepentance and unfaithfulness. This is the full quote in Hosea. It says this, I want you to show steadfast love or mercy, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. Jesus is trying to say to the Pharisees, guys, God wants your hearts, not just your sacrifices and your rituals. And and if he really had your hearts, if you really got what, what, who God was and, and what he was about, you'd be doing what I'm doing right now. If you really understood the ways of God, the, the steadfast love of God, you, you would understand what I'm doing right now and acting mercy towards the marginalized and people in need. And the fact that you don't, it, it, it shows me how far from God you are, how unrepentant you are. So you need to go away and learn afresh what that really means. Ouch. (laughs) Ouch. You see, the way Jesus lived his life threatened and challenged the Pharisees' way of life. Yet it was at the very heart of the good news Jesus came to announce. And it was the very example he wanted to set to us as followers. The invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to relationship. And ultimately, it's through Jesus that you can have a relationship with Father God, not based on rituals and sacrifices, but based on steadfast love, and not our steadfast love, His steadfast love. So just in closing, and let's think about some applications to this point. Here's my question. Does God have your heart today or just your sacrifice? Does does he have your heart today? Here's what that should look like. Not, Not an adherence to rituals and sacrifice, but an overwhelming love towards him, which results in an overwhelming love towards people, and in particular people that are marginalized, people who are in need. And my second question to us as part of this point is, are we becoming the community Jesus wants us to? This beautiful, international, multi-ethnic community, are we becoming the community Jesus wants us to? We need to be careful not to become a church that's just content to gather together and believe the right things and behave the right ways and just stop there. We, we miss something about Jesus. We miss something about his life. We miss something from this story if we do that. Is there space in our community for some more sick people? We never set out to be an international church, but I think 
as we pursued the vision God gave us to see the lost one and the one winning throughout Edinburgh, the Lothians and beyond. That has led to many people from all sorts of backgrounds choosing to follow Jesus and become part of this beautiful, messy community. That, folks, is a testimony to God. That is a testimony to the gospel. It's something we should celebrate. We are celebrating today. It's something we should not take for granted. It's something all of us have the responsibility to steward well in the days ahead. I love our international church. It is an absolute privilege to be a part of. And I look forward to many more years celebrating our diverse community. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much. And Jesus, I want to thank you that you are a saviour that is extraordinarily comfortable with people who are nothing like you. Jesus, I want to thank you that you give us an example that people who were nothing like you were also comfortable with you. And God, I want to thank you that you invite us into a relationship together. The invitation to follow you is an invitation to a relationship. And God, we want to say thank you for that invitation today. Father, I want to thank you so much for our international church. What a gift, what a privilege to be part of such a wonderful community. And God, my prayer today is for me and for us and for everybody watching, that we would not take that for granted, that we would steward that well, that we would go out of our way, just like Jesus, to spend time and to invest in people that are different to us. God, that we would go out of our way to, to make people feel comfortable in our presence and that we would go out of our way to pursue relationship with you, but that overflows into a relationship with others. God, I pray that we would be a, we would be a church that is exactly like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Just before we finish, today, I would love just to pray for anyone. Maybe you're connecting with us online. Maybe you're not even watching us live. You're, you're watching this on demand. And, and something I've said has triggered a response to say, Sammy, I need to follow Jesus today. Then I would love to lead you in that moment. And so what I'm going to do, just wherever you're at, whatever room you're in just now, whether you're connecting in a coffee shop, I just want you to Use these words that I'm about to put up on the screen as a way of praying your response to God, as a commitment to Him in this moment to say, I want to follow you. Use these words. Pray this. Jesus, thank you for dying in my place so I can be forgiven and have eternal life. I believe you rose from the dead. I confess I am a sinner. With your help, I turn away from my sinful ways and commit to following Jesus 
for the rest of my life. I declare Jesus is Lord of my life. Thank you for hearing my prayer and for saving my soul. Amen.